0: Welcome to ConExpo ConAg Radio, highlighting the latest construction technology and trends to drive your business forward. Coming up in March of 2020, ConExpo ConAg is North America's largest construction trade show. We bring you expert advice from your favorite brands, startups, and industry peers. And for even more news, sign up for our weekly 365 e-newsletter at conexpoconag.com slash subscribe. We've got another great guest on the show today, so let's dig in.
1: Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to ConExpo, ConAg Radio. I'm your host, Missy Sherber, and I'm thrilled to announce a new segment on the podcast called Contractor Conversations. Each month, I'll be talking to your favorite contractors around the country about their projects, workforce development, technology, and, of course, equipment. I hope these conversations give you the expertise and support you need to thrive in the daily work that you do. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a contractor based in Minnesota and I own a demolition and excavating company alongside my husband, Trevor. I'm passionate about our industry and I want to recognize the hard work that you do every day to build the world around us. And I truly believe that ConExpo ConAg is the event where the construction community can come together and belong. So I hope you'll join me at the show in Las Vegas in March of 2020. Please stay connected with me on Instagram, where you can join the conversation and stay up to date on all the exciting things happening at the show that you won't want to miss. Now let's get started with today's episode. With more than three decades of heavy civil construction experience, Don Swasing knows a thing or two about building high performance teams. As Chief Operating Officer at SLOUC Incorporated, Don has developed award-winning safety and leadership training programs and built a culture of open communication. Don will be presenting three education sessions at ConExpo ConAg 2020 on profitability, conflict resolution, and fleet management. Today, we're going to dig into the topic of crucial conversations and why you need to master your interpersonal skills to drive better results. Once you learn how to effectively navigate high-stakes conversations, you'll build credibility and strengthen relationships with your customers, peers, direct reports, and superiors. Don, thank you so much for joining us all the way from Pennsylvania, correct?
2: Correct. Thank you.
1: Yes. Well, with 30-plus years of experience in the heavy civil construction industry, I am so excited to talk to you. Our listeners are eager to hear what you have to say but we have to start with the basics. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in the construction business.
2: Sure. Well, hey, I'm, my name is Don Swayzing. I'm the COO of Schlock Incorporated here in Blandin, Pennsylvania, which is about 40 miles west of Philadelphia. Uh, my, uh, how I got started in the construction interest, uh, industry is pretty simple. Uh, both my dad and uh, my uncle encouraged me as a young boy, when I say young boy, maybe eight years old, and actually took some big chances with me that probably wouldn't happen today and allowed me to operate some really big iron in a controlled environment in a quarry. So, wow. you know, from day one, I was hooked. I, I was hooked. So so all I've ever wanted to do uh, my entire life uh, is play with Tonka toys and be a businessman.
1: <laughs> That's so, a great
2: combo. <laughs> yeah. So uh, for, for my entire career, I've been able to do that. I also have been very fortunate with people along the way who have believed in me and given me chances or challenged me to grow and step up. So, you know, if I wanted to make sure that you knew one thing, it's uh, that I try to do that myself today. That's I try awesome. to pay it forward.
1: That's awesome. So now the transition from being the eight-year-old, first of all, I have to ask, what was the – do you remember the first piece of equipment you were in, what it was?
2: It was a Huff uh, 400, which was um, – a quarry loader similar to a Caterpillar 992 today. So oh, I remember wow. it. It was yesterday. Oh, it was that's... a massive, massive
1: machine. <laughs> that's so awesome. And what were the first steps? Because I know we do have a lot of young listeners who are interested in, in getting into this industry. What were the first steps for you making that transition, you know, from school to construction?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I had an opportunity um, with a contractor over in New Jersey. And, uh, and basically, I... I sort of told a white lie, and what I told him was I could run equipment, okay? So (laughs) he gave me a chance, and uh, he knew at the end of the first week that I couldn't do it. But back to to the beginning, he believed in me.
1: Yeah.
2: And uh, he made an adjustment to my pay. He allowed me to make big mistakes. He allowed me to have seat time, which is very important if you want to be a heavy equipment operator. Seat time is everything. Yeah, and uh, you know it was just a continuous process from there. But that's a great question.
1: So you'd say you know you you really took some boldness on your part to get in the industry, which is something that's been a common topic on this on this podcast. Is the boldness to take the steps even if you don't know what you're doing? Correct.
2: Correct. Step up. Step
1: Step up. up. Step in, in, get in that seat and get the time. Well, let's talk a little bit about business and industry outlook. And with 30 plus years experience in the industry, we're really looking forward to hearing what your thoughts are on what your biggest challenges are right now and how have they changed from 10 years ago, even 20 years ago?
2: Yeah, I gave that some thought. So um, I would say for, for us or my view at the moment is, attracting and retaining talent in our industry mm-hmm. there are so many career choices for young people today you know we're faced with uh, you know what i call a gray tsunami which is the, the you know, so sort of the boomers uh retiring and uh leaving a skills gap so um that was the first thing that came to mind it's the first thing i wrote down so you know, why, why did that happen or how, you know, how did, has that changed? You know, I go back to what I call the construction depression of '09 and 2010. Yeah. And I believe that forced a lot of people to look at under other industries, you know, at that period of time. And, and not all these folks have returned. Right. So, you know, if at the end of the day I said, hey, what's going on? There's ample opportunity. We could grow more. Um, the limiting factor, or the constraint, um, you know, at the end of the day is for us is available uh, qualified trade
1: workers. Absolutely. And with that said, I think that's great, attracting and retaining talent. If you had one tip on to attracting new talent into the industry, or even, like you said, those that were in the industry and maybe left during that Great Depression, what's your number one tip for attracting talent? And what's your number one tip for retaining that talent?
2: Well, the attraction i think comes back for me it comes back to your public reputation so you know at the end of the day um do you treat people well do you pay them well um is your career path um at the end of the day um have you been around a while you know what's the equipment look like what's mm-hmm. your brand um, that gets them in the door that's great uh, the retention the retention is a little different it, it focuses on are you going to develop me are you going to help me grow uh, am I going to be able to make money to feed my family and take care of myself? Uh, you know, so once you get them in the door, you got to take care of them.
1: Oh, that's great. I think that's fantastic advice. I know a lot of business owners out there are asking themselves those questions. Um, now, what do you see as the biggest growth opportunity? We've exited that depression, thankfully. What's the biggest growth opportunity for the construction industry in the coming years?
2: The thing I thought about was um, more about what we're doing right now. So I talked a little bit about the constraints, okay, and... Mm-hmm. Um, some of the things that are in the way we see continued strong growth opportunity um, but we're very cautious to not dilute ourselves and, and diminish our clients experience so so really any right now because of the shortage of labor um, we're making our money with what I call our nose with you know what we say no to
1: Oh, interesting can you explain that a little bit more
2: well we, we have a great you know Schlauch has a great brand, brand a great team of people competent people, high energy, Uh, we're we're recognized as industry leaders in many areas. So the opportunities funnel here, um, you know, in a steady uh, high level of of, uh, activity. Um, And it's difficult for us because 80% of our business is repeat, right? So we have strong relationships, people are counting on us to deliver. Wow. But it's very easy to get over allocated, okay? So, So I, and back to Crucial Conversations, we'll talk a little bit more about this. Um, we need to be able to say no, even if it's a beautiful opportunity and it's a job right next door. If we don't have the resources and and the ability to perform or deliver, we need to be able to do that. So we make more money with our nose and sort of take it. Yes, yes, yes. I'll take as much as I can get, figure out how to do it, dilute everything and then fail everywhere.
1: I am so glad you brought this conversation up because uh, Trevor, my husband and I have had this exact talk and I'm always the one who really wants to say yes to everything and take on every opportunity, you know, he's more thoughtful and just kind of says, no, I don't think we should. So you've really helped, you know, in our, our business relationship. and I appreciate that.
2: <laughs> well, the next time you think about that and you want to say yes, use the, use the, let this pop up in your mind, inch deep, mile wide. Interesting. Okay. And that's not how you built your business. You did not build it that way. So once you stretch your people, they're great people, right? You've yep. got all these great resources, great, Cash position. Once you stretch it, um, you're at you're at tremendous risk, and everything you built could go down the, go down a drain in the blink of an eye.
1: That is such great advice. I am writing that one in my business journal. Now let's um, shift over to talking about equipment and technology. And this is a great thing to talk to you about because it sounds like you have a very experienced fleet manager who's responsible for 300 pieces of equipment, including 150 pieces of heavy equipment. Correct. <laughs>
2: That's correct.
1: That's awesome. Now what's been crucial in your business and have heavy civil engineering, you know, what pieces of equipment, what kind of technology has been crucial for Schlauch?
2: Yeah, so I so I asked the team that and I and I got some I got three different points of view, so I'm going to share all three with you right? Awesome. So, so I don't know if you know this, Missy, but Schlauch actually won uh, A- the AMP's Fleetmaster Master uh, Award in 2016. Wow. So that's, that's actually the best of the best, but it was really sort of p- pretty simple fundamentals that got us there. Okay, so so technology that was crucial in helping us develop, um, you know, to Fleetmaster. Uh, number one was um, oil sampling. Okay, so at the end of the day, the predictive analytics that we use... We're making big decisions based on that sampling, right? And that's, and that's something that at the end of the day, we had to teach ourselves to do, but it has helped us prevent either costly, catastrophic failures, uh, protected us from early life component failure. And we also, um, we make big buy-sell decisions. Uh, we might adjust our disposal times. We may do, we may do um, any number of things as a result of the condition of the fluids in that machine and the sampling sampling that we have, the system that we have. Okay. Uh, we trust. We believe in it. It's high value.
1: Got it. So the first one was with technology was oil sampling. Um, what were the yep. second and third?
2: Yep. So maintenance software. So we've got one place that we plan, we forecast, we schedule and record our PM services. Uh, we've got our historical data that we can easily access. We um, we yeah we run our preventive maintenance program from that maintenance software as well, and we're constantly about the business of pushing for the lowest cost per hour. Yeah, we study our reliability. We want to know what's what's reliable, what's available, and then uh, we'll we'll glean insight for purchasing decisions from that software as well. So we're tracking costs as we go.
1: Okay, awesome. So oil sampling maintenance software, which it sounds like part of that focus is efficiency, is making best Buying purchasing decisions, and preventative yep. measures, which is fantastic. And then what's the third? Yep. Oh, the third one was
2: um, we have job cost software that um, that actually ties back into the equipment. So our guys are actually entering their daily utilization in the field on a daily basis. So um, we're not being surprised, you know, six weeks, eight weeks, twelve weeks down the road with maybe some rentals that are parked or equipment that's that not being utilized. So yeah. we get information and free up capital, we may make uh, buy-sell decisions once again. So those are the three things, I think, technology-wise that probably set us apart that we use heavy.
1: That's awesome. And what advice would you have for other contractors when it comes to investing in new equipment or technology?
2: Yeah, um, we start we start by thinking about the right machine for the right job. Okay. So... Uh, Maybe you have a skiddy that you think you could use or a skid loader, but if, it, if, the, if the effort really requires a 963, you're going to have to pay. You'll, you'll pay for that. You'll pay for it. Repair costs. Your production will go down. Right machine for the right job.
1: Got it. Right machine for the right job is really just such a simple but important, you know, buying decision factor to think about. I love that. So let's transition. Oh.
2: thoughts we had with that just yeah, to share with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we we, uh, we invest heavily here in what we call actionable intelligence, which is data that ultimately should compel us to do something. okay uh, One of the things we learned along the way uh, when we're talking about giving advice to others is make sure you understand what you're going to do with the data before you get it, okay? Because mm-hmm. the data can be overwhelming. and if you really don't have a, a plan and, and a clear intent, it, it actually becomes more of a distraction than anything else. so, Be highly alert uh, on the notion of producing overwhelmingly endless amounts of data. Pick what you want and go get it and get it all the way.
1: That's great. No, I think that's really important. Now, I want to transition to the topic I am the most excited to talk to you about. Um, Now, you are training or doing uh, three ConExpo education sessions on profitability conflict resolution and fleet management which i loved seeing that subject within construction because that can make or break your company but we want to talk with you about safety and leadership because you have built and developed award-winning safety and leadership programs within your company so let's talk about first one of the education sessions that you're presenting at con expo con ag is on productive conflict and effective resolution as a leader, right. so, how can you yeah. help facilitate those difficult conversations that do come up to drive better results?
2: Um, great question, uh, Missy. So uh, I'm going I'm to call it a little something different, right? That that uh, productive conflict and effective resolution was adjusted along the way, but I want to define I want to define our conversation right now as a crucial conversation. Okay, so it, so it sort of has to happen, and uh, it's got three components in it inside of a crucial conversation. So it's got a, it's got either the potential or or an actual conflicting point of view. So you, you believe one thing, I believe something else. It either has the potential or it's already demonstrated very strong emotion. Okay. So that's, that's out there. And then the third thing it has to, it requires is it has to be high stakes. It could be a relationship. It could be uh, a change order. It could be a transaction, but it has to be high stakes. If it doesn't have those three things, well, and I'm going to talk, you know, obviously a lot more about this at Con Expo, It's really just a conversation.
1: Correct.
2: Okay. So that's, that's, that's where we start. So identifying that and it doesn't matter if it's in your home life or it's in your business life. It happens every day. Right. Um, as we, as we, uh, you know, move down the trail here, I watch people using technology more for communication. Okay texting emails um, those things are not they're not very social and they're, and they're certainly not helping us develop our crucial conversation or our communication skills as it relates to business that's so true so so if we don't we don't have those things present it's just a, it's just a conversation so you know I want you to know as a leader it's our job to understand the why what's going on okay so why why is it? A conflicting point of view what is it strong emotions i've studied i've studied um communication failures for my entire career including many of my own and what i've concluded at the end of those studies is on both sides of every one of these into these crucial conversations it's always fear it's fear of losing something it's fear of you know loss of money stature i I could go on and on
1: it's so true you nailed it So.
2: So we understand, like I understand, we're both going in to have a crucial conversation, you and I, and we're both afraid. Well, now we sort of have a common ground, okay? So, so if we we also know that it's going to get messy, right? Yeah. We know. So, so people are gonna they're gonna avoid it. It's natural to avoid it, um, but they're gonna avoid it because it's messy. It could be emotional. I don't want to get angry. You know, all those kind of things. So I spend all of my time today trying to understand the why and then plugging in either how I personally can improve the outcome. And I don't want to have every crucial conversation here at Schlauk. I want to coach my people or how I can help them, you know, by to improve the outcome by being support for a crucial conversation. So if I ring the bell here and say, hey, get it in the calendar. It's time for the crucial conversation. Most everybody knows.
1: They know it's it's time to really dive in, dig deep. And no more, and avoidance. I like that you brought up that word avoidance. I I feel like that is quite common in construction, avoiding these difficult conversations. One, we're busy, we're going, we're going, but it can really fester and build up and and create chaos on a job site if it's not addressed.
2: Certainly, chaotic. So, um, you know, I gave thought to why it's important to develop these skills as a leader and create a culture of communication. So, to me, most people are conti- conditioned at a very early age to avoid conflict.
0: Mm-hmm. We're
2: all trained that way. Don't do that, right? Don't stir it up. What kind of moods are you in? On and on we go. Unfortunately, when you move into a leadership role, uh, you then become really ill-equipped to deal with the conflicts and business problems that show up every day. Uh, so if, if, if these skills must be developed if you want to go all the way. Right. Because unfortunately, if you, if you don't do it, somebody else has to. Could be your boss, could be the owner. but It has to be done.
1: Absolutely.
2: Um, inability, the inability to engage in these conflict resolution in productive conflict, uh, conflict resolution, it's real clear. And I think you're gonna this is gonna resonate with you. Drama, drama <laughs> in the organization, right? There's fits <laughs> and carrying on and whatnot and all that. Yeah. The team's morale goes down. Everybody knows what should happen, right? But nobody's really moving the ball forward. Productivity is impacted while we're busy talking about what should be done in the drama. You know, there's a big impact on profitability and most of the time on relationships. So I didn't say there was an issue or an impact to a negative impact to relationships by having a crucial conversation. I'm telling you that my uh, my impression is um, the avoidance of those crucial conversations has a much greater impact negative impact on relationships
1: and that is so outstanding to hear that and and I think that's just something great for all of us in the construction industry to really to really listen to and, and hear so tell me this on that subject of okay we're feeling encouraged and, and like we've got to have more difficult conversations to keep a more positive good team culture let's start with employee to employee you know, something's festering there could become, you know, there's some avoidance in a difficult conversation. How do you recommend staff to staff approach each other for a difficult conversation?
2: Great question. So, uh, you know, we, we start by establishing a culture of expectation. So what does that mean? OK, um, I have a com- I have a problem with Kevin. I'm not going to Kevin's boss to talk to about the problem or I'm not going to HR. I'm turned right back around and I'm I'm directed back to Kevin. So setting an expectation in the organization that you're not going to tolerate that as a leader or take a side or have, you know, sort of siloed conversations, you're going to create an expectation that we talk to each other. So that's, that's you know, worker to worker. That's, that's how we do it.
0: That's uh, great. And
2: if you get stuck and people get stuck, I don't have a problem with facilitation. Okay, what do I mean by that? I'm going to get Kevin and the other person in the room. Well, Kevin, you said that this person's coming to work at 8:30 every Monday, and you want him to come at eight. Tell him, and then you know we're sort of bridging, getting the energy flowing again with a conversation with the two people. So as a leader, we have to we have to help, right? So right. culture first, facilitation, and we go from there.
1: That's so great because I have noticed, you know, as a leader of our staff, they tend to want to come to directly to Trevor. Or I. With when they have a problem with another staff member. And I think that's great to direct them back to the staff member. But I've noticed, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on this, I feel like a lot of times when staff members are coming to us complaining about another staff member, they're really more looking for maybe some significance or recognition themselves. How how do you shift that conversation as a leader? One, go to the person, but two, kind of see what they're really looking for.
2: Well, I'm not going to turn them completely off. I'm going to listen. Yeah. I'm going to signals. I'm going to have empathy. Uh, I'm certainly going to, um, y- you know, sort of weigh what's being said. So I do I sort of do both simultaneously.
1: That's great. And
2: then uh, and I'm going to trust my gut a little bit, uh, Missy. I mean, I, I'm going to trust my instincts. What is really going on here? It, it's a gift when someone trusts you enough to come with you and give you a signal, right? Yep. And so you, you should make sure that you um, treat it as such. And, um you know, sort of nurture nurture the whole relationship, the whole experience along the way.
1: Absolutely. A small,
2: a small company, I gotta believe it's dangerous. The problem with that is six people. You're gonna alienate someone if you don't take yourself out of the middle.
1: Right. Absolutely. Somebody,
2: somebody gotta go. It's a it's a one. You know, it just it just doesn't work. And you know, I'm working on approachability. Okay, making sure I'm approachable. If I pick a side, I am no longer approachable to one of the two people. Right.
1: Oh, interesting. No, that's great advice. Now in, in on the subject of creating a good culture of communication, and I love that you're talking about this in connection to construction and successful job sites, where do we start if we're, you know, a small to mid-sized business and say we haven't we've put all the focus on the work, not on a culture of communication. What are a few key steps that we could take or a few core values that we could institute in our company just to get started?
2: Uh, I'm going to start by asking you what you've done to educate yourself with respect to soft skills. Or, you know, start with you, okay? If you're if you're the owner or in an executive role, um, you really can't coach what you don't know <laughs> or what you're not.
1: <laughs> That's so uh, true. You well,
2: know, you have to start with yourself. You're not going to get it out of a book, right? So, right. So you start with yourself, and then you want to lead by example. So, um there's nobody here that's going to let me get away with avoiding a crucial conversation. It's not yeah. going to
1: happen. We've asked our team just recently, where can we improve with our communication? What do you need, you know, from us? What do you need from your team members? You know, how can we really get better improvement? And we've just been kind of taking the approach of a sounding board at this at this point on what improvements need to be made to, to meet their needs. But we've struggled on, okay, now what's next in creating a culture of that good communication is it weekly team meetings is it you know like where do you start
2: well i you know i gave that some that your questions some thought as well so as i'm as i'm doing in, in, in con expo at con expo you want to coach the team on the benefits right so hey do you want trauma to go down Do you want your quality of life to go up do you want your area of responsibility to be more profitable more productive oh that's great um, so we're going to we're going to talk about we've already started with ourselves we're going to talk about the benefits all right. So we're going to package it up and we're going to make sure people understand that What's the value proposition?
1: Yes. Oh, that's fantastic. No, I think that's a great way to start. Now, what can leaders do at every level of an organization to foster a positive environment, a company of good communication?
2: Well, we're going to um, we talked about coaching our team on the benefits. Right. And we talked yep. about leading by example. Um, we're going to give help them understand the, the, the concept of approach. And what I mean by that is, um, you're not going to, you're not going to resolve a conflict with me with an email or a text. <laughs> I, I consider that cheating. Okay. So at the end of the day, if you and I are locked up there are two things that are, that are, uh, consistent that we must do one, I got to get you in a calendar, right? I'm going to take the first step. So we're going to talk about issue introduction. How do we introduce an, you know, an issue? Uh, and then all of the actions that uh, follow that should nurture trust. I'm not saying it's still not emotionally charged. I'm not saying it still isn't high stakes. I'm not saying that. But if you say you're going to show up on Tuesday at 1 o'clock and you don't show up at all, uh, you're making a withdrawal in the trust checkbook, right? So yeah. actions uh, nurture trust. When I come to have my conflict with you or my crucial conversation, I'm only bringing facts, okay? Uh, facts are critical. You know, at the end of the day, if you if you bring in the feelings and the – and all of the things associated with that is really going to cloud it. Here's the specific business problem. Here's the specific facts as I see them. Be open if um, a new set of facts are presented and keep going. There are two other things that I do on a regular basis um, that I think are important to, to lay out. One is I include the team in what I call planned exposures. And what do I, what do I mean by that? well um i'm going to have a crucial conversation on a million dollar change order on Tuesday at one o'clock. Kevin, would you like to go with me? Not asking him to do anything i 'm just asking him to be present so he can watch and learn because wow. I think there's a lot of a lot of coaching opportunity and sort of watch one you know tell watch uh, watch one do one teach one so Kevin, you saw it now go do one and then teach one of your people so it's sort of cascading down
1: that's great you know and the
2: final thing with that is um, we have an environment here where conflict is normal, and so um, it's as normal and conflict resolution is normal. So there's nobody saying, like back to that early training when you were a kid, conflict is not normal. We we rough up, we, we, we bump up against each other hard. And what it does is it makes for a stronger team. Trust goes up, credibility goes up, respect goes up. These are you know, and you would think it's be the polar opposite, right?
1: Right, absolutely. And and you guys have grown so quickly. Um, with your staff, the amount of staff that work for you and that are just really happy with the culture and everything. And so you've fostered an environment of conflict is okay and it's safe. We can have these conversations, and I think that's just absolutely fantastic. So tell me now, why is training, and and you've really touched on this already, but I just want to dive specifically into this. Why is training such an important element of workforce retention, not just of a good company culture, but of actually retaining people?
2: Yeah, great question. So I I thought about that as well. So I'll I'll start by sort of sharing our culture.
1: That'd be great. Yeah, that'd be great.
2: And it, it revolves around three words, okay? And those three words are care, trust, and help. And so what, what every human wants to know is when they are connecting with a company, with a person, with a situation, you know, does this person care about me? Okay. And that's, you can't fake that. So does the person care? Um, can I trust that person or the company or whatever it might be, you know, and then, you know, is, is the company person positioned to help me because everybody needs help. So, so it starts with culture. So with retention, our care, trust, and help is authentic, right? Yeah. So we move beyond the culture, and then we're, we're very public with acknowledging that we, especially the leaders here, have an obligation to help people grow their skills. And, and why do we want them to grow their skills? Because we actually, um, we, we are focused on helping people advance their career. We want them to earn more money. We want them to have a better quality of life for their family. We want them to be able to um, enjoy a vacation, pay for their homes, Uh, you know, live the American dream. But in its simplest form, it's really just pointing back to caring, and building a trust and helping people. Right. You know, the the third line in that, you know, what I thought about more than anything was, you know, just acknowledging the why from a corporate perspective, skilled people are more productive. Happy people are more productive. They accomplish more and they represent your, your company in a positive light, which helps you sell more business. So it's a win-win-win if you can take care of your people with care, trust, and help, and then you can train them up, um, you know, and then we have, we sort of have to go quick now because you talked about that gray tsunami, right? We've got a skills gap. We're already struggling to attract, but the ones that are here, we gotta we got to accelerate what used to be tribal learning, and we got to compress it to about five years to get them to the next place.
1: Wow, and that's so interesting to me. So what are you guys doing for that compression factor then, you know, to retain, not just retain but to keep them and then and then facilitate training them quickly so they can like you said have that best career advancement opportunity.
2: Yep, so um at the leadership level here we we do a personal leadership class which is a little bit different than business leadership where we have conversations around core values, your public reputation, the culture that you create on the project. Those types of things, ethics, integrity, right? you know, doing the right or the best thing. Those okay. those, those types of conversations. And for the, po- the folks that plug into that, and some of my direct reports actually teach that class, that um, they have stated it's one of the most rewarding experiences they've ever had. So at the leadership level, um, we're really doing a deep dive on those softer skills and you know the, how the leader is viewed, the tone at the top. Yeah. You know, we also do a crew leaders class. Okay, so at the end of the day, we're, we've identified you as a person with potential. Uh, we understand there are missing technical skills that you haven't been exposed to. And then that's a very deliberate agenda. Uh, it could be job costs. It could be safety. It could be daily planning. It could be how to conduct a meeting. But, uh, you know, we're we're doing a, a deep dive there. And then at the trades level, uh, we've got, uh, we use NCCR for our pipe layer curriculum. We use NCCR for our laborers, a uh, craft laborers program. And then we have a, a heavy equipment operators mentoring program in very early stages where we're trying to get sort of peer-to-peer learning because, you know, as I said earlier, operators learn from the seat. They don't, they don't learn. There's some theory, but the bigger learning comes from hitting things and backing <laughs> up over things and making mistakes. And, you know, I yes. And I don't know how say it, but anybody that's listening in here from ConExpo knows that that's true. It's so very true. We're doing all of that. And then I personally get involved with the continuing education. I'm going out to experience some education with FMI in Denver, next week on construction and selling, I would suggest that the top leadership needs to be in a constant state of continuous education and investing in themselves so they can grow and lead their, lead their teams and lead their company.
1: That's such a great, great concept for the, the high leadership team. What about the staff members who are out there, you know, the operators who might be listening to this and saying, I want to be a leader. They might be in a bigger company, how do they express that, communicate that to the higher-ups um, if they have an interest and, you know, maybe they're just getting their seat time right now? What do you think are yeah. the best things for, for those operators to do? I know they're out there. I get messages from them all the time on social media.
2: Yeah. I mean, for the operator, I think it's to continue. I, what I My son works at the company. Come early, stay late, do what's asked, and then do a little more.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, get yourself recognized um, that the standout guy, the guy that's got the potential in this particular market in this particular day and age is going to be recognized. Um, ask questions, ask big questions. Hey, what, how did Kevin, how did you figure that out? Hey, Derek, how did you calculate that cost per yard? Like, you know, do a deep dive, not just, not just, you know, enough for the day to go home, Yeah. step up and then make your, make your desire known. And if you don't feel like you're hurt,
1: Make it known to somebody else. Yeah, and I love to take initiative out there.
2: You don't have to say somewhere where you don't have to, where you're not going to grow.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and I think there's so many great companies out there like you guys who who foster that leadership potential and, and want to hear, you know, those young operators who who see that you see potential, and so that's that's just great. Now, tell me, um, let's talk about Conexpo Conag quick. We are so excited. We've signed up for all three of your ses- sessions and can't wait to learn from you. You know, on the different profitability, conflict resolution, fleet management. Now, how how long have you been coming to Conexpo Conag?
2: Well, unfortunately, I had to dig way back in the archives for that, but my first time (laughs) was nineteen ninety-nine. So that's what twenty years.
1: 20 years you've been going to ConExpo, ConAg. And what is your first memory of attending the show? Now, I mean, you're a speaker now, but let's go way back and talk about your first memory at ConExpo, ConAg.
2: Yeah. So um, I was actually blown away. That's the only way I can describe it, blown away by the enormity. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I'm all, I, you know, I have a pretty good logistics background. So they're building, you know, large batch plants from the inside out and filling all that in. It was fascinating to me how enormous the show was. And then, you know, I gave thought to how much money was spent to produce that show. And it, in my mind, that was my, my biggest memory, um, silly memory. Back in those days, everybody sort of had, you know, you got a bag, right? And uh, yeah. and then some, somebody had a business card or a free pen or stress ball or whatnot. And I had bags of stuff, right? <laughs> like all bags of stuff. And then um, my b- luggage was overweight and I didn't have enough room to get it on the plane. Like today, you just scan something, bang, you're gone, right? But... That's, that was, you know, some of my first memories. I just couldn't get enough of all of the innovation and all of the things that I was exposed to. It was amazing.
1: To me. Are there any, and, and the innovation and in technology is really another thing that we're, we're excited to explore as first timers at Con Expo. Any innovative moments in the last 20 years that stick out to you or that you remember just, wow, like that's coming that may already be to market right now?
2: In looking back, you know, we discovered uh, our GPS, our, our machine control program at ConExpo. That was, the, you know, the our early exposure was to Trimble GPS there, and yeah. then we followed up and came home and went to De- Dayton and did due diligence and whatnot. So, so that was a big deal for us. Um, we got our early exposure to telematics um, yes. from a number of. Us. Um, we the last ConExpo I was at, um, I was uh, paying. I was hanging out with the drone guy and actually brought brought a guy from ConExpo home and had him I actually paid him to do some some uh, topo work for us with a drone out in um in western Pennsylvania to sort of study the accuracy and you know the possibilities for us.
1: Wow. So you you guys have, you know, as a company found quite a bit of product technology services that have advanced your business. Yes. That's Absolutely. great. And what advice would you have for contractors like myself who are coming to the show? We've never been before. What can we expect? What tips do you have to really maximize our time at the show?
2: Well, uh, wear comfortable shoes.
1: <laughs> Done. <laughs> you
2: can start there, and I'll tell you why, okay? Don't let that little bit of carpet that's covering that concrete make you think that you're walking on anything soft. Okay, So, <laughs> so there's miles and miles. I don't know if you're wearing a Fitbit. Uh, You're going to have miles and miles and miles and miles of walking, and then you're going to walk back to your hotel. Wear comfortable shoes. It was uh, the first thing that that, um, jumped to mind as far as a tip. Yes. Uh, You know, what can you expect? Acres of uh, every type of construction equipment on the planet. Yeah. So in addition to that, um, a lot of construction support services, fleet management support services, and an amazing educational session. Right. So there's. I don't know how many hundreds of different choices that you can make for education, but every relevant topic or every skill that you want to build is going to be at con expo in the brochure. So with that, what tips do I have? Missy, take the time to read the brochure. Yeah. Do not attempt to figure it out when you get to Vegas, you want to plan, you want to have a little written plan in your calendar, what you're going to do for the day, give yourself a little downtime between classes, but plan your time to maximize value. You're not going to see everything. You're never, you're never going to see it all. Stay focused on what's important to you and your company. Yeah. Make a little time for networking. I'm assuming that your key vendors are going to be there. Uh, connect with those folks as well. So, you know, that's downtime when you're not talking about a deal, you're not talking about a transaction, you're not talking about a problem, and you can just pull together closer, right? If you're talking about building that relationship.
1: Absolutely. That's so Straight great. Up. Um, and I no.
2: enjoy Vegas. Vegas is uh, an adult
1: playground. Right. Well, and now with the education sessions, I am getting that question quite a bit on my social media feeds of, should we buy the education sessions? And I, I love learning, you know, we're, that, that was a no-brainer for us. But why don't you, because you've been through it, you've experienced education sessions this year, you're speaking at a few of them. What would be your answer if someone said, should I buy the education sessions and Why?
2: Yep. Absolutely. On the education sessions, even if it's only three, and I don't know what the costs are, but even if it's only three, like, you know, do you want to improve your estimating? Do you want to understand more about mass excavation? Do you want to improve the reliability of your equipment and your fleet? Do you want to understand contracts? Do you want to develop your skills with soft skills? Everybody has something that they need to learn. So don't pick 50 classes, but try and pick three. And then the value will be in those three, but, um, I, I really believe that people would be selling themselves short if they didn't tap into that that education. That's, I mean, it, it, that's great. A key part of uh, Conexpo.
1: Well, I love you know that that you have been there on all levels. I'm so excited to hear your education sessions. Like I said, we will be at all three of them because they're just such important topics. Um, we, I want to you know close out with. Resources, You know, as, as I was reading about you and your experience and, and the fantastic programs, both safety and leadership that you've created at your company at, at Stalk, I, I wanted to leave our listeners with resources. Now, would you be willing to maybe just give us a list of resources or maybe email me and we can post it, you know, when we release the blog? What are your top resources if, if for leadership and safety that you would give these listeners?
2: Yeah, for the listeners uh, one of the one of the one of the most instrumental um, safety resources that we utilize to to shift our culture to um, accountability based with the leaders owning all employees owning our safety culture was came from a guy by the name of Zachary Canoop Zachary Canoop is the head of cat safety and I would not be shocked uh, I would be I would be more shocked if Zachary was an at con expert so uh, first and foremost, and then uh, if, if you wanted to do a drill down, it was a DVD called Speak Up, Listen Up. And it was based, the concept of Speak Up, Listen Up is real simple. Um, hey, employee, you have an obligation to speak up. Hey, leader, you have an obligation to listen up. And uh, it's about safety feedback and making a company, a project, a culture safer. That's great. So that, that for me, um, sticks out like, like nothing else. So that I didn't anticipate that question, but that's okay.
1: <laughs> and if you think of any more, definitely send me an email, you know, and what about leadership? Any, any resources pop out too, that would be great for us to walk away with of how can we take this to the next step? If, if you know, as we felt inspired to develop more as leaders,
2: I'll give you two in no particular order, right? So we used Penn State, Penn State has a as a leadership program. And then what we did with it, there was four of us that went. We came home and, and sort of modified. Remember, because you start with you first, right? So right. You're, you're doing your leadership push-ups to come home and maybe make things better for your team. So we went to a local respected um, state college and uh, we, we did push-ups there. We also use FMI, uh, which will, FMI will certainly be at Con Expo, but FMI has a world of leadership coaching and training all the way down to crew leaders, project managers, project manager, Academy, project management, Institute.
1: Oh, awesome.
2: Uh, You know, those are our, those are our go-tos. Okay.
1: Great. I just feel like a lot of listeners will definitely walk away from this, this conversation saying, okay, I want a better safety program. I want a better leadership program. So those are two great resources. FMI is one I've never heard of. So I will have to put that on my map. Of Con Expo.
2: Yeah, you, you, you and, um, certainly um, I can have offline conversation with you connect you with friends
1: yeah awesome so let's do our quick rapid fire round and this is just a fun way for our listeners to get to know more about you Don before they come here your session at Con Expo. Um, what yeah. was your first job
2: I bailed hay and straw on a farm for a dollar 65 an hour oh
1: <laughs> that's fantastic you were you were rolling in the dough rolling in
2: well as a kid I was probably 11 yeah. years old I was 75 bucks a week. Oh, that's awesome.
1: What was your first car that you bought once you saved up that dollar 65 an hour? Yep.
2: I paid 250 bucks for it. It was a 1966 Plymouth velvet there. (laughs) Baby blue three on the tree.
1: (laughs) And if you weren't doing this, which is hard to imagine because you've been around it since childhood, but if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing?
2: I don't know. I'm living my passion right now,
1: Missy. I I can agree with that answer. Now, what song gets you pumped up in the morning as you're living your passion in construction?
2: Statesboro Blues, The Island
1: Brothers. (laughs) Who is one person you wish you could have dinner with? My mother. Mother. What is your favorite piece of equipment and why?
2: Uh, It's a 963 Caterpillar track loader. Why? I spent 15 years of my life as a heavy equipment operator. Uh, and I made a difference every day while I was running that equipment. So that was, that's a, a big proud part of my career. Uh, I, lo- I love telling that part of my story. Um, tour track loader.
1: Wow. So you were in a 963 track loader, and now are just developing leaders. That is just very cool. We might need to have another interview session and just talk about that story because I'm sure operators would love to hear that. Last but not least, the gas station is a definite part of the construction worker's life. What is your go-to gas station food?
2: A hot dog. Just ketchup and mustard.
1: <laughs> well, Don, thank you so much for your time today. We really learned a lot here. I, I think you, you nailed an important part of workforce development, which is leadership development. And we so appreciate your wisdom and the principles we've learned today. We can't wait to see you and hear more from you at ConExpo. So thank you again for your time and for joining us.
2: Thank you guys as well. Have a great day.
1: You too.
0: And that's going to wrap up this edition of Con ConAg Radio. If you like the show and think other people should listen too, make sure to subscribe and maybe leave a review on iTunes. We'll be back next time with another great guest. Until that time, be sure to visit conexpoconag.com subscribe to sign up for our weekly e-newsletter. More than 30,000 other construction industry pros are already receiving news and insights to move their business forward.